Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm excited about the Lord and what he's doing in this day. My goodness, I appreciate him so very, very much. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you will, tonight to join me in the book of Joshua, chapter 1. And we're going to begin, or just going to read maybe verse number 8 to begin with. And uh, I pray that the Lord will touch our heart and our minds here this evening. I have earnestly sought the Lord today and uh, over the last several days, but more specifically today, to... uh, that his will would be accomplished in this service tonight and that I can, with his help, just be the conduit through which his spirit and presence and power can speak. Amen. I want to stay in the book. Amen. That's the safest place we can be. Joshua 1 and 8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then the scripture says, for then, can you say that with me? For then, for then shall thou make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. So there is a prerequisite is what The Lord is speaking to Joshua. There is a prerequisite to prosperity or your way being made prosperous. And there is a prerequisite to good success. And that is found bound in the book of the law. And so I want tonight that my subject is this. I want to speak on law before liberty. Law before liberty. And I just ask you, would you make the journey with me? Amen. Don't exit before we get there now. Amen. Don't exit before we get there because we're going somewhere with the help of the Lord. God bless you and you can be seated. Two weeks ago, we began a study series on the subject of holiness and what it means and how it relates to the modern church. And I intend this series to simply address perhaps some of the issues that we deem as foundational, fundamental Stones of the New Testament church. And uh, I, I just want to speak from my heart this evening and perhaps set the stage a little more securely for future studies on the subject, whether that is collectively or privately. Charles, Charles Colson once said, every civilization from the beginning of time has known that lawlessness leads to cruelty and barbarism. Moral laws are not stifling rules that repress and restrict our true nature. Rather, they are directions for becoming the kind of beings that God intended for us to be. Now, for the sake of time, I won't reread that, but I hope that saturates into our heart 
But more importantly, I want you to know that this is not a quote from a minister. This is not a quote from a pastor. But Charles Colson was the chief counsel for President Nixon from 1969 to 1973. So this is not from the halls of uh, religiosity, but this is from the perspective of just looking at humanity, that from the beginning of time, we understand that there has to be some sense of law. The Apostle Paul goes to great length to demonstrate the life in Christ that is not situated or found or founded in the law of Moses. And this understanding has to be established before we press forward. And that is this, that the law of Moses was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So there's not an Old Testament that is no longer relative. There's not an Old Testament that we can just kind of take a pen knife and cut that out of our Bible and set that to the side and say that's for them, but that does not apply to us. Because the law of Moses was not abolished, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it was fulfilled in Christ. So the principle of the law was not done away with, and the principle of the law the principle of the law of Moses is essential if true liberty is going to prevail. Amen? Amen. It is, it is essential. And so the principle of the law has to be established first in the spirit of a person before the liberty and the freedom of, of the law that comes with that can be practiced. There has to be something that's settled in our heart. However, we are living in a society that has reversed that process. Amen. The principle of the law has got to first be established in the spirit of the person. It's got to be in your heart to do right. Because there is a moral compass. There is a spiritual law that has been established. Man wants absolute freedom to do anything they want to do. And then later, if there's a problem, or later when there is a problem, let me see it that way, then we'll just enact some other kind of law and then we'll worry about restraint at that moment. And we're seeing now, we're reaping the benefits, the ill benefits as a nation. We're reaping the benefit of someone saying, let's just do whatever we want to do. And if, and if something goes wrong, we'll figure that out later. And if we're, if, we have, if we're not living under a rock, all we have to do is open our eyes and realize that our nation is in a moral mess. A moral mess. Amen. And so we're, we're seeing how not only impossible, we're, but we're seeing how impractical that approach is. A young man was excited about his first day of kindergarten. He was so excited he could scarcely sleep the night before. And he had one primary goal that he kept stressing over and over to his mother. He said, I just want to learn to read. I want to learn to read. He was so excited about the possibility of getting in the flow of his education I just want to learn how to read and so when he got home from school the first day his mother asked him he said she said what what did you learn today and he said rules 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 <laughs> he said that's all we learned today rules and then he went on after she drilled him a little more that the teacher had explained that for the first entire week of school all the children are going to be learning is the rules the do's and the don'ts because this wise teacher understood something. If there are no rules, learning is going to be impossible. Because the classroom is going to be painful.
pandemonium. It's going to be chaos. And so we've got to first, we've got to first establish some rules in your heart. And so I'm going to go back to what I said a moment ago, that if we can first establish some rules in our heart, then we are now in a position to practice some liberties that come with the Spirit of God. But if there is no rules, then there is no learning. And so no matter how brilliant the teacher would have been, no matter how skilled or adept she would have been in her teaching skills, if there is no structure, the problem is not going to be the teacher. The problem is not going to be their lack of uh, preparation. The problem is not going to be where the school's located. The problem is not going to be the decor of the room. The problem is going to be the atmosphere in the classroom. Because if there is not discipline there, if there are no rules there, then learning ceases. Learning ceases. Adam and Eve were given one law. Complete liberty would have been theirs if they could just abide, would be theirs if they could just abide by one simple rule. And so from the very beginning of man's existence, God has required that there is a principle of law. First, there was law. And then there was liberty. So when Joshua became the leader of the children of Israel, and this was our text tonight, we'll go back there. Before God made him a promise, the Lord said, first, there's some requirements. And here are the requirements. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. He didn't say just think about this. But he said, you need to meditate about this day and night that thou mayest observe to do. Some actions followed that meditation. Hiding the law in, the, in his heart would allow him and afford him the privilege to be able to act upon what is written. And then he said, for then, that was what I had us repeat. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. So first there were rules and then there was freedom. And all the promises of God, all the promises of God, you can find this from beginning to end, all the promises of God follow the if-then principle or the if-then rule. If a person will obey God's word, then we will reap the great blessings and the benefits that God has upon us. But there is an if-then principle so if we will, you can read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, I believe, and you can start out in the first 14 verses or so and, and the Bible talks about all the blessings that will come from the Lord if you do certain things. And then when you continue to read, then there are all the cursings that will befall if you do not. It is an if-then an if then principle. And so this biblical principle is found cover to cover throughout the Old Testament. God required obedience to his commandments and then he blessed, and then he blessed. We have in our society, buy now, pay later. Let me read the benefits now. You, you can buy furniture for 18 or 24 months. You can buy a mattress. I'm not in the market for a mattress somebody's been wallowing around on for 24 months that got repossessed. I'm not suggesting they do that. I don't know what they do with all those things, but... But it's a buy now, pay later. Let me be blessed now with no skin in the game, no, no margin in, in my life. And so this principle doesn't begin and end in the Old Testament. The principle continued into the New Testament 
and it still applies to the church today. If one will be obedient to the admonitions of God as written in his word, then we are in position to be blessed of God. I've referred to it so many times, I almost, if I keep doing it, I'm gonna owe him an offering, I guess, but Brother Daryl Johns, many years ago, preached a message at camp, at our camp meeting in 2003, actually, about living a life that God can bless. It's that blessable life. You can't, and in that illustration, and in that sermon, rather, he used the illustration about going through uh, some um, Sonic or something. They had ordered a foot-long chili cheese dog, and then they were going to bless the food. <clears throat> but we can't hold this agent of death up. <laughs> And then say, now, Lord, what we need you to do is just bless this. And even though we jokingly say as we slice that pie and that cake, you know, we prayed and asked God to curse the calories and all that. It just doesn't work that, it just doesn't work that way. There is an if we are obedient, then God can bless. So we've got to be blessed. We've got to live a blessable life. That's what it boils down to. And so the confused thinkers of our age want absolute freedom first and then later we'll devise some method of restraint. In other words, we just live free and we'll build the prisons later. But that's where we are. And we cannot deny that. Just do whatever you want to do. And uh, we say that children, you know, have no restraint. They have no restraint in the home. Children have no restraint in, in, uh, in the schools. But you see, there is a place because they're growing up every day and they're going into a society that does have rules. And it's an unfair setup for failure because someone didn't establish the principle of rules in their heart as a child. And so now, unfortunately, many of those men and women are at this moment occupying cells and bunks and things of that nature in jails and prison across our nation and around the world. Because at some point, someone says no. And they really mean it. It's not no for the moment. It's absolutely no. Amen. So while this sounds ludicrous, it really sums up where we are today, but they've refused to submit to the restraints taught in the Bible and instead develop their own restraints that are harsh and cruel and, and, uh, and the very thing which the law of God has been accused of. You know, the people say, well, the, the Bible is just so harsh and the Bible is so restrictive and, and, the, and the Bible is so confining, but there is nothing more confining than an eight by 10 cell. Nothing more confining than habits that, that sinful habits that hold people in a vice of addiction. Nothing more confining than that. Amen. I'm, I'm not here to defend the word of God. If it needs me to uh, necessarily, if it needs me to prop up the word, if the word needs me to prop it up, we're all in trouble. But we're here to talk about this word and how it applies to us. If there's any, there's nothing more inhibiting than prisons and there's nothing more inhibiting than rehab centers, nothing more in, in, in uh, imprisoning than hospitals that, that hold people tonight confined because there was no restrictions in their life prior to now. Yet, in this final chapter of Unleashed Freedoms, people say, we'll just want to do what we want to do. And if it feels good, do it. And uh, no one should say anything about that. Public schools have spent millions of dollars on metal detectors and surveillance, surveillance cameras. And, and, uh, and, and, and the very thought of all that is an affront to an American freedom lifestyle. Amen. 
But where did all this come from? It, it, it comes, it's the end result of no lines, no limits, no rules. And it, it's, it's irony, is, is that. The nation that has demanded freedom to do anything it wants. The nation that has demanded freedom without restraints. A people that has said, we want no part of the law of God, now finds itself losing its freedoms. Because there's no such thing as liberty without law. Because the children in our country have been given so many freedoms first, there's no law of God that is established in their heart. Amen. And, and as a result, the law has come down hard and it has come down strong. But compare this to the writings of the psalmist David in Psalms 119 and 45. David said this, I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. I can walk with freedom because first I'm seeking your law. Hiding the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm gonna first hide the law. I'm gonna hide those precepts in my heart. These 11 words preserve, uh, preserve an enormous truth. They keep that. Liberty without a firm foothold and restraint is gonna to lead to anarchy, which is gonna to lead to bondage. The very opposite. Live as you want, do as you please is going to lead to a life of bondage. Amen. Liberty cannot exist without restraint. It has, without its restraint being established first, we've got to have that in our heart. This divine order of, of law and liberty is seen even in the plan of God concerning salvation. In Galatians 4 and 4, Paul said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. So think about this. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. This verse indicates that something had to be established first. Something had to come into its fullness. Something had to come into this, its rightness before the age of grace could be ushered into place. There had to be a fullness of time. And so the law of liberty that Jesus Christ would bring into the world had to come at a particular time. There was a method. There was a thought process. There was something that had to be established. So could it be true that before liberty could come, there had to be laws of behavior firmly set in the minds and the hearts of the people of God? I believe it's entirely possible that before there could be a, a dispensation of grace that was ushered in, there had to be a dispensation of law. There had to be something that was, there were some guiding principles in our life. I, I, I can't afford to meander, but I want to say this this evening that, that I've, it's been a long time, but I've, I've some, heard some people say through the years that, uh, you know, I don't know if people are getting the real Holy Ghost today because back in the day, and they're kind of referring to their day whenever that may have been, somebody got the Holy Ghost just so, so, so to speak, Holy Ghost on Friday night, and they got to church Sunday. They look like they've been living for God all their life. But then their, their argument or whatever was that it's not the same today. Well, my comeback to that is that there's, number one, there's not two different outpourings of the Holy Ghost. But I think what we are seeing is that a few decades ago, whether people live for God or not, there was a moral compass in the homes of America. 
People knew right and wrong. Children were raised. Whether they went to church, whether they went to Sunday school, whether mom and dad was on the pews and singing to the choir, that's not what I'm talking about. Mom and dad said you can't live together without being married. That's what the, Our society taught that. Not the church alone, but our society taught those principles. Our society taught principles of lifestyles and things of that nature and 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 they knew they they knew that you you couldn't do these certain things even though they were doing it they said this is wrong and so in 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 the presence of that moral compass they already knew right and wrong fundamentally but we are now reaping the rewards of a generation that do not have that moral compass in their home there may not even be a stable home for a compass to abide in. And so people do not. There is a lack of understanding. And so I just pray that the Spirit of God can help us as a church to understand that we have a commitment first to the kingdom of God and then to ourselves and our own family, but also a commitment to our communities. You know, the way the, 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 the Bible is even written seems to bear this out. So let's think about this for just a moment. When we pick up the word of God, we begin to read. The first thing that we're reading through and we're getting rooted and grounded in is the law of God in the Old Testament. And then how many times, I know I've mentioned this in recent services, but how many times as we begin reading through the word of God every year, we come across these principles that are bound up in the law of God and we recognize them from which the laws that govern our very nation are, are drawn from. Amen. And so when we pick up the Bible and we begin to read that, then we come to the story of Christ and the, and the great liberty that is him in the New Testament. Yes, the Old Testament was replaced by the coming of Christ, but the principle of the law was not done away with. The principle of the law was lifted, amen. I, I lifted to a higher level, not lifted to abolish it. Modern Christianity has preached so ardently that the doctrines of grace and, and the doctrines of grace and the doctrines of liberty that are taken from the writings of Paul have completely overlooked all the, 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 uh, the writings of Paul concerning behavior. However, Paul never intended, I think I can speak for him, Paul never intended, I'll tell you why I can do that in just a moment. Paul never intended for Christianity to be a lawless, unrestrained religion where saints, just their behavior is just matching that of the world. Paul never would have done that because it's not a, it's not a coincidence. Don't let it be lost to us that the apostle Paul, a man who so was so greatly versed in the Old Testament and who clearly understood the principle of the law was the man that was chosen by God to write on the great liberties of Christ. And so Paul was not writing about the liberty of Christ in the innocent or in the ignorance of the law. He was a man well versed in the law. He was a man qualified to speak about the liberties of God because he understood freedom is rooted in the law. The religious world at large has declared that, that Christian liberty can exist with no rules or no restraints, but that theology has clearly run aground. Amen. The apostolic church has long declared that the principle of the law is an important part of our Christian life. It is a critical part of who we are. Amen. You cannot have liberty in Christ that is not rooted and grounded in the law of Christ. 
Amen. Please don't mistake uh, our, our enthusiasm and demonstrative worship and, and, our, and our emphasis on praise and our, and our appreciation for music and singing. Please don't mistake that, that it takes place of the word of God or the law of God. I'm thankful for the enthusiasm. I'm thankful for the liberty that we feel in the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the power of the Lord that moves in our services and the freedom that we express to respond to that. But at the end of the day, what gives us that freedom is not our own self-will. What gives us that freedom is because there is an appreciation for the word of God and the law of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Can I just boldly declare tonight that anyone in this building or those joining us online, I just just want to tell you this evening that we're not just doing this because we're here tonight. We're not just doing this because we were here Sunday. We're not just living this way because we're planning on coming back on Sunday. But I promise you, if you, want, if you walk up on us in the hardware store tomorrow, we're going to be living like this. And man, if you, if you run into us on the job on Friday or next Tuesday afternoon, and then we are going to be, why? Because we understand that the lines and the guidelines and the, and the restrictions of the word of God, that's what's given us our freedom. That's where the freedom comes from. Hallelujah. You can't have liberty in the Lord if you're not rooted and grounded in the laws of Christ any more than, than, than we could have American liberties without law. I mean, just think about it. The greatest nation in the world, freedoms, knee deep running in the street. And all of those freedoms are founded fundamentally because America has laws. You can't just do what you want to do. Amen. There's signs in front of businesses, no loitering. <laughs> well, I don't know about all this. Well, there's a reason for that. And the church has every right to have Christian rules that are derived from Scripture. Amen. These perimeters give liberty a place to grow. <laughs> Hallelujah. These guidelines give liberty fertile soil to grow in. Hallelujah. Amen. In teaching on this subject, there's always a risk that someone is going to misunderstand and think that, that this is somehow a call to reject, reject grace. But nothing could be further from the truth. Or, or perhaps one might conclude that an allegiance to a code of rules can replace a relationship with God. But nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. I will tell you tonight that we, we don't need a list written down on a piece of paper. We need a list written in our heart. Amen. Let the spirit of the Lord lead us and guide us. And when the Lord convicts us of saying something, doing something, being somewhere, whatever it may be, we need to be obedient to that. Amen. That is the law of God. That is the law of God that is just touching our heart. Amen. This is not a call for rejection of grace, nor is it, is it a desire to somehow 
uh, place a list of rules in the church that will, that will replace a close loving relationship with Jesus Christ that could be found in prayer and fasting and study of his word, nothing. Oh Lord, that's not what we want. We want a relationship with God. I'm gonna tell you, you don't ever have to worry about people that are living, that are doing the right things fundamentally. You don't have to worry about people that have a prayer life. You don't have to worry about people that have faithfulness nailed down. You don't have to worry about people, amen, that have sacrifice in their heart, giving and, and praise and worship. You don't have to worry about those. They've already addressed that. They've nailed that down. Uh, an author I love to read, Max Licato, shared a story about a woman who, who for years was married to a very harsh and cruel man. Every day he would leave her a list of things that, that, that he said should be done around the house before he returned home from work. Now, none of you men get your feathers all up here. No, no ideas. Don't get up and leave. Let me finish this story. Amen. I felt a little guy stretching her shoulders. Every day he would leave her a list of things to be done around the house. He wanted those done before he got home from work. And she, amen, Brother Wes. They're not sitting together. How brave of you. How brave of you. Amen. If she did not complete the list, then she would be met at the door with his fierce raging temper. After several years, her husband passed away and, and some years after that, she remarried. And this time, she married a man that covered her with tenderness and adored her very presence. And one day, while going through a box of old papers, she came across one of those old lists that her late husband had left her. She read over that list. Tears began to fill her eyes and she began to realize something. She said, I'm still doing all these same things. Not because someone told me, but I do it because I love him. Amen. And there is a demographic of people that would just love for a pastor to create a checklist. And... And they're not wanting that list so much for themselves. They're wanting that list for you. Because the moment I handed them a list, they're going to buy a black robe. And every time they catch you three sixteenths of an inch out of bounds, I'm going to get a call. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> but it's the truth. But what we need is... This in our heart. I'm going to love him. I'm not trying to abolish the, or negate the responsibility that I would have as a pastor to teach. But what we need is this in our heart first. Establish in our heart first. That is the unique characteristic of the New Testament church. We don't work in order to go to heaven. We, we work because we're on our way to heaven. Amen. Arrogance and fear are replaced with gratitude and joy. I'm glad I'm here tonight. I want you to know I, I, I was a, just a few minutes late for church. That wasn't on purpose. It wasn't because I was outside trying to figure out whether or not I was coming. I'm here with gladness and joy. Amen. The church needs to look at the, the role of guidelines in, in the affairs of man throughout time. God has always had laws and he has always had restraints and God has always had perimeters with his creation. Now we would think 
we would think we would be foolish rather to think that that the great liberties of Christ that were bought for us on Calvary's cross could exist without being rooted and grounded in, in the conduct that's found in his word. The grace of God is still the only thing that can give us hope for salvation. But grace without rules and grace without guidelines, grace without any perimeter are not what living for the Lord was meant to be. Because grace that leads to recklessness is not grace at all. I remember reading this story a long, long time ago, but there was a, a young lady that was in prison and, uh, and uh, she was serving a, a quite lengthy sentence. And, and so her, her mother came to visit her one day and, and uh, she had been in prison long enough for there to be some self-analyzing going on. And she said that her mother told her as they were visiting, she said, Mom, you have always told me how much you loved me. She said, but I challenge that thought in my heart tonight. Because she said in the neighborhood when all the other parents were calling their children home, you never called me home. And in school when all the other children had uh, uh, curfews and things of that nature, you, you, you never set any of those guidelines in my life. There were never any guidelines. And, and any time that I did wrong, you covered for me. And, and you always lied. And you always made up and made everything right. And tonight, I'm here. I'm here. And so do you obviously can see that parallel that we think that sometimes that, that, that uh, you know, we can just do whatever we want and this is going to lead to freedom. But when we do whatever we want, it's going to lead to bondage. It's going to lead to bondage. Praise God. I, I, I must hurry. But the understanding of biblical history, I think, is so extremely important to the discussion of grace and liberty versus law and restraint. Because in the tabernacle plan, and, and I will hurry through this, but get, when, in the tabernacle plan that was given uh, to Moses by God, there is a perfect illustration, a beautiful illustration of God's view and God's regard for the law. The holies of holies, if you think about that, and I know my audience tonight, but the holies of holy was the most important room in the tabernacle. Can I get a witness? Amen. In this holies of holy, it contained a chest called the Ark of the Covenant of the Testament. Amen. And in this golden chest had one primary purpose, and that primary purpose was to hold the law of God. Exodus 25, 16 says, And thou shalt put thee, thou shalt put into the ark. Uh, the testimony which I shall give thee. So put into the ark the testimony. This is the most important piece of furniture in this most important place. Exodus 25 and 16. The focal point of the house of God was the room, amen, that the room and the piece of furniture that contained the law. Not only did God design the tabernacle with the law as the most important entity, but it was, it was over the top of the law that he would come down and commune with man. And so the law was central to everything that is going on. Exodus 25, 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there, and there, I will meet with thee, and, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, all of all things which I give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. Amen, here is the law of God. Put the law of God in the house 
house of God. It is in the center of everything. It is all things central. And he said, it's here. That's where I will meet with you. I'm gonna center myself around your law. I wanna tell you this evening that if we just come together just to hear some good singing, if we come together just to feel good and we walk away, there is a recklessness and a spirit of spiritual anarchy in our heart, in our lives, and it will not work. It will not work. And so the significance of this cannot be overstated. Looking back to the tabernacle, first, God's power dwelt in the cherubims over the law. Second, the blood was sprinkled for the atonement of sin, where? Over the law. Third, God spoke to his people and he communed with man, where? Over the law. It all centered around the law. But America today says, give us pulpits and give us preachers, but don't give us shepherds. Amen. But the Bible says, I will give you pastors. Brother Rayleigh has quoted this many times. After my own heart. And if I got that right, I will give you pastors after my own heart. And so we need, by the way, thank you for the last 34 years. Amen. Tonight, 34 years ago, I preached my very first message here as pastor. I I wasn't saying that to solicit that, but thank you. Amen. You've been very patient and very kind. I can tell you that my wife and I were talking about that today. Amen. But it's over the law. So we, we, we need to come together. Amen. And, and appreciate. I'm not just talking about this because I am a pastor. I am a pastor that has a pastor. I need a voice in my life. I need direction in my life. I need somebody in my life that has veto power. Amen. And they exist and she knows who they are and she has their cell phone numbers. So this is not some mystical feature I can just preach about tonight. And she will call them. Amen. She would. She she said I would. (laughs) There's a power of God that rests over those that regard his law and love his law and live by his law. And And God delights in those things that are held in check by perimeters and by restrictions and by restraints. So let's go back to the book of Genesis. And let's just read all the way through it, why don't you? Let's go back at the book of Genesis. And the Lord, the Lord of restraint said to the sea, this is where you start. And this is where you stop. And when the water's not in our house, we're thinking, whoo, I'm sure glad there's restraints. Amen. And when the tidal waves come in through abnormal weather patterns and things of that nature, we're wondering who let the dogs out. Right? This is what happens if there was no restraint. But aren't you thankful that the Lord said to the son, this is where I want you to give birth to yourself every day. And this is where I want you to sit every day. You can't make your own decisions. You can't get halfway through the process and decide, I want to do it this way today. No, 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 no. What God said in order is still in order. Amen. The two most popular words in all of Christendom in closing. I was raised, I'm going to ask our musicians to come if you will. I was raised in the Apostolic Pentecostal Church and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for I'm thankful for the tasteful teaching of the word of God. 
pastors and ministers systematically led me, but you can find yourself in these stories, through the scriptures that gave foundation to their teaching. Not tyrannical voices that were saying, do as I say and not as I do. Not tyrannical voices around me that was echoing those same sentiments. And so I've often spoken of this, but I I don't just say it to say it. I really do pray this often. Thank you, Lord, for Bible teachers that opened the Word of God, systematically taught me, rightly dividing. But I also, Lord, I want to thank you for those that never held a microphone, never held a position, never held a title, but they just lived it. And so they were living examples of what was being taught from the pulpit. I'm thankful to have been raised in a home. My parents would have never have claimed perfection, but I'm thankful to have been raised in a home that when I got home, I didn't hear of arguing on the way home about how wrong the pastor was and my parents lived a completely different life at home and then all of a sudden they morphed into something else when it came church time. I'm thankful for that stable environment that was healthy, that was healthy. And so you may not have been raised in that kind of environment. I'm not here to belittle you. I'm here to encourage you to create that climate in your own life and create that climate in your children's life. That there is there is no disparaging there is no disparaging between what's being taught in the church and what's being taught in the home. We're trying to make it to heaven. We're all going the same way. Amen. And so I believe in essence we need a perfect balance and harmony between the pulpit and the pew. And we both need to hear and to see Bible teachings. Amen. We need to hear it. And we need to see it. Elder, Elder G.A. Mangan is often quoted as saying this, that there is more caught than taught. And there's a lot of sense in that simple statement because people can see something and, and they can begin to build principles around their life. People need to know that there are lines and limits because all of life has lines and limits. There are a few things more tragic than personal interpretations who people say, I just don't see it that way. The end result of that mindset, I'll tell you what it's going to do. It'll lead you, it'll drag you all the way back to the book of Judges. That's what it'll do. It'll drag you by the nap of our necks all the way back to the book of Judges where every man did that which was right in their own eyes. You go your way, I'll go mine. And then somehow we're going to just mystically meet at the end. It's not going to be. Amen. With proper and biblical guidelines, people who have, have lived, God, uh, lived ungodly lives can now become righteous. And people that, that before had no restraints or no restrictions in their lives can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that law is not going to be written on tables of stone or that law is not just going to be written with ink and page, but that law is going to be written in their heart. Amen. I mean this sincerely. I have no idea how many people have told me after they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know, some things I used to do. I just, I went to do that and it just didn't feel right. Because the spirit of truth, amen, the spirit of truth. And so people that, with with proper biblical guidelines, people that, 
lived immoral and ungodly lifestyles have become godly pillars in communities and churches. Once lawless lives were transformed, amen, they now learn how to live within the perimeters of the scripture and, and freedom starts coming to birth in their heart. Amen, I'll ask you to stand. This atmosphere can, this atmosphere that I'm, or what I'm talking about this evening can create an atmosphere that can develop a sense of knowing right and wrong. Because if we must develop that. We must develop that. Here's why. Because we're always going to be faced with new and differing manifestations of sin. And so I grew up, I never heard anybody preach about the dangers of the internet. It wasn't a thing. It didn't exist. I'm not trying to sound old as dirt, but it... There, and so we're going to have to keep rewriting the law unless we get the principles of things in our heart. If we get these principles in our heart, no matter what comes along, that principle will guide us. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I, this, this kind of teaching may be ridiculed in the world, but I don't want to ever see this kind of teaching ridiculed in the church. Amen. America has evolved into a place of wanting freedom with no law. And if we're not careful, this philosophy can be absorbed into the thinking of our, of our church, of our churches, plural. Because freedom in Christ is a great privilege. Amen. It is a wonderful privilege, just like the freedom of America was given to us in the Constitution. But you know what? Somebody paid for that. Somebody initially paid for that with their lives. And from that time until now, people have continued to pay for that right. They're paying for that now all across the world. Amen. They're defending that constitution. And so people say, we want freedom and we want no war. You got to do something when the enemy shows up at your door. You have to do something. And so the enemy is at our door, and I pray that the Spirit of God will touch us. Amen. Can we just magnify the Lord a little while in this service tonight as we can conclude? Praise God. Let's love Him and let's glorify Him. In the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.